morning, church. Take those Bibles and let's go. First John chapter 5. As you make your way there, we're going to be finishing up on these final two verses, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, again, uh, John reminds the believer of what they know to be true. He begins and it says, and we know that the Son of God has come. Now, the false teachers had done their best to try to set Jesus aside. They did all that they could to, to try to make Jesus unimportant, uh, uh, to, to, to make our Lord seem irrelevant or insignificant, but uh, they had been teaching that knowledge of God could be achieved apart from Jesus himself. May you know that you can never know God without knowing Christ the Lord. And so John has been explaining this truth throughout this letter. And Jesus is uh, central to the Christian faith. And so he says that we know that the Son of God has come. We know that Jesus came to this earth. We know that he lived a sinless life. He gave himself up as an atoning sacrifice that he was buried and that he rose again. And now he's taken his position in heaven and he is present with us today through his spirit. John also writes in, in the gospel according to John, in John chapter 17, Uh, He says in verse number 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. May you understand that the purpose of the Son and His coming to this world was to glorify His Father and to grant eternal life to all who would believe in Him. The Holy Spirit has given believers understanding so they might know the one true God. So just as the Holy Spirit teaches believers about God and points believers to God, so too does does the Son of God teach us about His Father and and point us to Him. And and so John writes and he begins, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come, and so we know that Christ came, but we also know that He's given us understanding because He continues and He says that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. And the understanding that's being spoken about here is spiritual understanding. The spiritual understanding that can only be given by Christ and Christ and through Christ. Understanding other areas of life, while they might be important, they are not salvific. They, they don't have anything to do or pertain to salvation. Understanding other areas and aspects of life do not deliver us from sin. Understanding emotions does not deliver us from sin. The proper understanding of behavior or psychology does not set us free from the enslavement of sin. Nor does the understanding of medicine, education, philosophy, 
or even religion. All of these things are important and all of them have their place in our world today, but there is only one understanding that can deliver us. There is only one understanding that can truly set us free, and that is the spiritual understanding that Christ and Christ alone gives. The human mind has to be enlightened so that it might understand who Jesus is. Our minds have to be quickened in order to receive Jesus as Savior. And this quickening happens from Christ himself. So Jesus has given us understanding so that we might recognize the reality of who he is. Go back to verse 20. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And this is the language of grace, which means we did not, uh, on our own wisdom, discern and discover the truth about God. We did not, on our own, come to know God and make the decision to, to choose to follow after him. No, rather, as in verse number 19 tells us and reminds us that we too, those who believe, we too were once under the power of the evil one. Oh, but the grace of God, by his grace, our eyes were opened so that we might know his son and that we would pursue and submit and surrender our lives unto his son. Paul understood this reality as well. And he wrote about this truth in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, beginning in verse number 1, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you see it? It's right here. Well, Paul captures it too. I mean, he says, in the case of the God of this world, in other words, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says in verse number five, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shall shine out of darkness, He says, for God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is God who brings forth and shines forth that light, giving us proper understanding of who Christ is. So like Paul, John is reminding us that the true reason why believers understand the truth about Jesus, while the unbelievers don't understand or reject that truth, 
like John, Paul is saying that the reason why we understand the truth about Jesus is all because of the grace of God. That he allows us to know that truth. And so he writes and he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And then he says, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. So, so not only did God the Father reveal himself through his, through his Son, through the incarnation of Jesus, not only did, did Jesus reveal the Father through his birth, through his life, through his atoning death, and, and through his glorious resurrection, but through all of this, he did so so that we may be in a right relationship with God the Father. So that we might know and believe and, and trust in Him and have that uh, relationship that's been destroyed because of sin be repaired because of what Christ accomplished on our behalf. And it is by faith, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we enter into a relationship with the Father, a relationship that will never end. It is eternal. Nothing or no one can separate us from that relationship that has been established by the grace of God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It says that we are in Him who is true. And the word true means it's the original as opposed to a copy. It's the authentic. It's not something that's fake or, or, or an imitation. Scripture reminds us of the truth, that, that Jesus Christ is the truth. I mean, Scripture reminds us time and, and time again. In fact, you, you need not look any further than John's own writings to, to see the reality of this truth. In, in the Gospel according to John, John, again, highlights this truth consistently in his writing. In fact, in John chapter 1, John reveals that Jesus is the true light. John chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light is Jesus. So Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true bread. John chapter 6, verse number 32, says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. And then in verse 34, it says, They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true bread. Jesus is the true vine. John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. You go back to John chapter 14, we see that Jesus is truth itself. John 14, verse number 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through 
me. There is no other way to get to the Father except through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. He's the only way. There's no other options. Jesus is the original. Jesus is the real deal. He's not a copy. He's the authentic. He's not a misrepresentation or an imitation of God. Jesus is the genuine thing. And so Christians, as, as believers in Christ, then we are the ones that live in a world of reality while the world in which we live in, they're the ones that's living in a world of imitation or, or artificial. They don't have the real deal, but we do. The world boasts of its enlightenment, but it's the believers who walk in the light because God is light. The world talks about love, but it's the believers that experience genuine love because of what God the Father has done and what they've experienced through their faith and trust in the Son. Because God is love. Apart from God, one cannot experience genuine love. The world talks about or displays its wisdom or its understanding and learning. But the believers are the ones that live in the truth because according to Scripture, the Spirit is truth. So it should be noted, looking back at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, I think it's important to note that John does not say so that they might know the truth. He's not talking about some abstract knowledge of something or an arbitrary awareness of, of, a, of a fact. No, uh, John proclaims so that we may know him who is true. So, so he's not talking about having an abstract knowledge about something. He's talking about having a personal knowledge and relationship and a genuine God in the real thing. So we are in God, and He is in us. This is, this is fellowship language that John is writing. Again, he's coming back to it because he's already talked about this kind of language before. In fact, uh, go to 1 John chapter 1. I'll show you. This fellowship language, the fellowship with the Father and the Son has already been introduced as the essence of eternal life. In, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's like we've come full circle from chapter 1 to chapter 5. By God's grace, we, we know Him and are in Him. Therefore, we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with His Son, and we have fellowship with one another because of our identity in Christ. The Holy Spirit connects us together and so we are in fellowship with other believers. And so back to 1 John 5. In verse number 20, pick up some more. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding 
so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. Then he says, he is the true God and eternal life. There's the potential to be confused at this phrase. I mean, that final phrase just says, he is the true God and the eternal life. And so what is the pronoun he referring to? To whom is it pointing us to? Is it talking about God the Father or is it talking about God the Son? Well, in, in, in Greek, that pronoun literally means this one, this one. And when that pronoun is used and how it's used in, in, in this verse, it, it's always referring to the person that was just named. So with that understanding, who's the person that was just named? The person that was just named was his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, John is proclaiming very loudly, very clearly, that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. That's beautiful. I think it's fitting that at the end of his letter, it, it, it kind of captures the same truth that, that John wrote at the beginning and in the end of the gospel according to John. In fact, I'll show you on the screen in John chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Son, Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then you go all the way to John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, it's, it's eight days after his resurrection. Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. Well, all the disciples except for one because Thomas wasn't with them. And so eight days after his resurrection, Jesus is before his disciples again. And it's interesting, Thomas always gets the bad rap, doubting Thomas, right? But, but when Jesus appears the first time, Jesus shows the disciples his wounds. And Thomas was only asking to experience the same thing that the disciples previously experienced. And so Jesus appears, and now Thomas is with him, and Jesus is like, all right, Thomas, I know, I know your struggle. I know you need to see this to, to, to know and to believe, so go ahead and touch my side. But notice what Thomas says in John chapter 20, verse number 28. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And, and so here at the end of his letter, John is expressing with great clarity the deity of our Lord. I think quite honestly uh, verse number 20 of chapter 5 kind of summarizes John's entire letter. The greatest certainty of all, that Jesus Christ has come. Like the incarnation of our Lord. The greatest certainty of all is the certainty that guarantees all the other certainties that we've been discussing. It all begins with Jesus I mean, this is the doctrinal foundation from which flows our love and our obedience to His Word. I want you to notice one more thing in verse number 20. In this one verse, John has described Jesus as being true three times. Three times. In fact, the word used here for true 
occurs more times in John's writing than it does anywhere else in the New Testament. The, the term true simply refers to that which is the ultimate reality. It's as if after all the ways in which John has argued for a proper understanding of who Jesus is, he closes with the crescendo of saying Jesus is the true one. Jesus is the genuine one. Jesus is the real, the authentic. There's no imitation. There's no counterfeit in him. Jesus is the true, genuine, real God. And John is encouraging us to hold fast to that confession despite the fact that there were false teachers among them that were trying to corrupt them with the misunderstanding of who Jesus was. And so John is clearly instructing the church to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is so that the church doesn't get carried away or led away to a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And so he closes with that crescendo three times. Jesus is true, the true one, the true one. I think that's important because I think that helps us understand what verse 21 is all about. Because if you're not careful, verse number 21 just seems like it might be a random thought that's thrown in at the end of the letter just as a parting shot to the church. I mean, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. When you think about this, it's not, uh, he's not talking about worshiping images, idolatry in that sense. This letter has not once, not at all, has it dealt with paganism, the, the, the worship or the false worship where images are glorified. He's not once dealt with that in, in all five chapters. But what he has consistently been dealing with and addressing is the abhorrent version of Christianity that was infiltrating the church. My opinion, so I'll be clear, my opinion here in this verse is that John is addressing the false views of Christ. And he's addressing the false views of Christ that were being proclaimed by the false witnesses of Satan there were those that were among them that were denying the incarnation of Jesus. They were surrounded with uh, Gnostic teachers that, that were denying the Messiahship of our Lord. They were outright rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. I think fully aware of the danger of heretical teaching infiltrating the church, John gives his final encouragement. Hold fast. Stand your ground. May you know with full confidence that Jesus was the Son of God, absolutely, and that Jesus is God. It is the, the triune nature of our God that is beautifully displayed in this text. And I think that John is trying to, to kind of close out his letter by encouraging those that are reading it and listening to it to, to, to submit and to surrender their whole life, to live their lives in accordance to God's Word and to faithfully and obediently serve Him. 
so that they might glorify him and so that they might make the glory of God known among the people. I think it's a beautiful way that John kind of brings his whole letter to a conclusion. A constant reminder that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through his Son. No other way will do. No matter what other people will tell you, no matter what other people might teach or proclaim or write about, the only way to know God is through the proper knowledge and understanding of his Son. And it is by the grace of God that Jesus Christ gives us that understanding so that we might receive him and know him and submit and surrender our lives unto him. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the one who provides eternal life to those who will put their faith and trust in him. He is the true revelation of God. Anything and everything else is counterfeit. Everything else is fake and artificial. There is only one true revelation of God, and that is found in and through Jesus Christ. On this truth, we can be certain. And on this truth, we can know that Jesus is the Son of God. On this truth, we can know that those who believe in him have everlasting life. On this truth, we can know that God answers prayers. I don't ever understand why that doesn't always just generate an amen. I mean, God answers prayers. Amen? I mean, doesn't that motivate us? Don't we understand that? I mean, do we need to go back a couple weeks and do that message all over again? That when we're abiding in Christ, submitting and surrendering our lives unto him, faithfully following and practicing his word, then we're going to know the right words to pray. And we know that when we pray in accordance to the will of God, that God hears those prayers and he answers those prayers immediately. And we might not see the answers immediately, but we can have the confidence in knowing that he has heard and that he has answered. I think we just need to bathe in that truth a little bit longer. Maybe and that's why we don't pray the way that we should. We give lip service to the fact that we think that we believe that God answers prayers, but by our life and by our practice, we clearly don't believe that to be true. Otherwise, I think we'd spend a lot more time in prayer than what we do. On this truth that we can know that God answers prayers. Prayers that are offered in accordance to his word. And he gives us that, that example and that illustration about praying in accordance to his word. Because on this truth that we can know that we as believers have been called to love one another enough to pray for each other when we get caught up in sin. On this truth that we can know that not only was Jesus the son of God, Jesus is God. On this truth, John brings his letter to an end. It's only fitting that after 16 weeks that on this truth, it's time to bring this message series to an end. May you know the truth. May you love the truth. May you live your lives in full submission to the truth. May the desire of all of our hearts be that we would honor 
and glorify the truth. That we would submit and surrender all that we are, all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our strength, everything that we have, that we give it all in full submission to the truth. The truth is, Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice so that we might have a right relationship with the Father. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would give you that understanding. We know that it is but by the grace of God that that can happen. And so we pray that God would extend grace to each and every one of us so that we might have a proper understanding of who he is and that based upon that understanding that we would submit and surrender our whole lives to faithfully love him, to faithfully serve him, which means that we're going to be faithful in loving one another and faithful in serving one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for the beauty of your word. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. God, I pray that you would help us to understand just what exactly it is that you expect from us that we know that the only way that we can truly know you is by knowing your son. And how can we truly know your son? But through knowing of your word. Your word points us to your son and your son points us to you. And so, Father, we thank you for the beautiful gift that you have given to us through your word. God, forgive us for neglecting your word. Forgive us for mistreating and mishandling your word. God, I pray that we would properly handle your word that we would develop a love for your word, a hunger for your word, and that we would rightly apply your word into our hearts and lives. God, thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us. God, I pray that even right now that your spirit is moving among us, granting us the understanding that we need. For those that have yet to submit and surrender their lives unto you, I pray that your spirit would quicken them unto salvation today. For your children that are in this place, that are watching or listening online, I pray that your spirit would bring great conviction into our lives, that we might confess our sins, repent for those sins, and fully submit and surrender ourselves unto you. God, help us to be aware of the world in which we live in. Help us to see other people the way that you see them, Father. God, and when we see the the outright rebellion and sin that's on full display in our country and around the world. That instead of being frustrated with that and ignoring that and walking away from that, God, may it compel something within us to speak the truth, to love other people enough to recognize that the destruction that they're headed for is not a good thing. Grant us the courage to speak truth. God, may we be faithful and obedient unto you. You deserve nothing less. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.